So we're reading from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. And that's page 5 in the Church Bibles. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called out to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Thank you. Now we're going to rise and sing, uh, What Love Is This? After this, Ed will come and bring God's word to us. Let's sing to God's praise.
Well, please have a seat. Uh, children, this is your chance to go up to Sunday Club. So, and as they are going, maybe you could be picking up your Bibles again and turning to page 5 in Genesis chapter 3. Um, just before we jump into this, a couple of quick notices. Uh, we are going to restart the prayer meeting before the morning service starting next week. It ha it's been something we haven't had since um, the pandemic, um, which Bill uh, leads and Bill Casey leads. So would would really warmly encourage you to come along 10 o'clock, uh, join um, Bill and others praying in uh, my study just up the stairs here at 10 a.m. And it's just a great time for us to be able to pause and commit to God, particularly the ministry of Sunday, but also other very significant stuff in the life of the church. Um, the other thing is just to reiterate what David was saying about the choir and carols by candlelight. At the moment, we don't have enough people to have a choir, so we really need more uh, folk to join. If you think um, 
you have any interest in this, do talk to Hillary afterwards or to Derek. Hillary, where are you? Can I? Oh, she's gone upstairs. She's with her children. All right. Well, talk to anyone who's doing music. Talk to me, and we can link you up with Hillary. I'm going to ask for God's help as we come to his word. Let, let me pray. Who is it that you esteem? The one who is humble and contrite and trembles at your word. Oh, Almighty God, we come to your word this morning, a, a portion of scripture that in many ways is hard to hear. We pray that we would come humbly, not thinking that we can master it, but wanting to sit under you, our master, hear your voice, understand what this truly means for us, that we might see more of you and have your grace in the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. In the beginning, God saw all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. Has that been your experience this week? That this world, everything in it, is very good? This week, in our world, as we've looked at the headlines, we see people yet again fleeing from their homes because of war or famine or disease. This week in our city, we, we heard of the conviction of a boy who, when he was 14, stabbed and killed a 49-year-old woman down on the docks, the Keys, just a couple of miles from here. This week in our lives, have we found that it is really good, very good? Or has it been a week of stress or disappointment or, or hurt or pain or, or sadness? This week, if we're honest, we've not been very good all the time. Where did it all go wrong? How did we end up here? Well, do you remember a few weeks back we were looking at Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and how different it was then because in the beginning it was paradise. Do you remember the Lord God made a wonderful world, a world with Mars and the moon, with, with red kites and blue whales. With, with gravity and snow drifts and, and mountain peaks and ocean depths and everything working perfectly. And then he, he personally formed mankind and breathed life into them. And he places them in a garden, a garden, a garden that is full of life and beauty and, and splendor and color and purpose. And it is all joy, all joy. God resting and enjoying all that he has made. Man relating and working and enjoying the world. And at the heart of it, God enjoying man and man enjoying God. 
harmony, intimacy, love, paradise in the beginning. So where did it all go wrong? Well, the answer is found in Genesis chapter 3. After the beginning, sin. Now, it may be that you're here this morning and you maybe don't know much about the Bible. You think, you know, how can this ancient book tell us anything about the world today? How can it help? Well, the Bible isn't just any old book. It is God's book. It tells us what we need to know. But even if you're not convinced of that, why not listen in this morning? Because what we've been seeing as we've looked at these ancient texts is actually they make sense of life, of the world that we live in. They, they provide answers that really do seem to explain. So why don't you see if this makes sense of your life, of the world that you see around you? And what we'll notice is that actually some of the answers we see here in chapter 3 are very contemporary. First thing we're going to look at is the road to sin. And we join Adam and Eve on their road to sin. And on their road, first of all, they meet the serpent. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, I'm sure there are some here who we see this and you've just got all sorts of questions. What is this servant? Who is this? Where has he come from? Why is he allowed in the garden? Serpents talking? The thing about the Bible is that it answers lots of questions. In fact, it encourages us to ask questions. It's not like some religious people who say, you know, you mustn't question. It is all about faith. No, the Bible encourages us to ask questions, but also, it only tells us what we need to know. It is fully sufficient in that respect. It doesn't promise to answer every question we have. Well, what about these questions? Are there any answers to these questions? Well, elsewhere in the Bible, yes, there are. It's clear that this is not just a serpent. It is actually the devil. Or the devil using a creature here to speak through. Who's the devil? Well, again, the Bible helps us here. It's most likely an angel who has rebelled against God. Why are they allowed in the garden? Well, we're not 100% told. In fact, there's lots of questions still. Here's a couple of things that it's worth us noticing. First of all, this serpent, this devil, is made. Did you see that? Verse 1, more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. So we don't need to worry about who will win. The devil is under God's control. There isn't two gods, you know, the good God and then the evil God, the devil, and we're just not sure who's going to win. There is one good God. But why is this devil allowed in the garden, in this form, to say these things? We, we don't have all the answers, but, but part of the answer we're told in the Bible that God uses all things for ultimate good, for His purposes. 
and especially to show the full extent of his love. A love that loves us enough not just to create us, but to redeem us at great cost. Well, lots more questions, I'm sure, but let's see what happens. The serpent leads us, leads them, sorry, Adam and Eve, to the first step to plant doubt. He says, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree? What he's doing is he's getting them to doubt God's word. He's saying it just sounds totally unreasonable. Why so restrictive? Isn't this just a bit mean of God? We'll be missing out if we followed and served him. Do you notice that actually this is almost the exact opposite of what God had said? So chapter 2 and verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. As Life Explored puts it, God gives them a whole paradise of yes and a single tree of no. But the serpent, well, he plants the doubt. It's the first step to sin, and yet isn't it the same today? So contemporary, you know? The Bible, you can't really believe that, can you? You can't believe that you're not supposed to sleep with your partner until you're married. You can't believe that you can't lie for a friend if it's going to keep them out of trouble. Can't believe that kind of stuff. Does God really care, we say today? Is he a bit mean? Maybe his ways, well, they don't sound like life. If we serve God, won't we be missing out? Well, Eve does respond to the serpent. She does correct him a bit. So verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But it seems like she's beginning to believe the lies, beginning to walk down this road to sin. Because look what she says next. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. She adds this, you mustn't touch it. God didn't say this, but maybe she's thinking, yes, maybe God is all about rules. By the way, do you notice that Adam, well, verse 6, we're told, he is right there with her, and he does nothing. Doubt is planted. Then comes step two, denial. Something that made me really sad during the pandemic was uh, some of the scams that were going around. So do you remember the one that was, uh, someone would get a, a message on their phone saying that they were a close contact and there was a link they had to press and they pressed the link and then you'd be brought to a website and you were supposed to put in your name and your address and your mobile number and your air code. And from that, they would steal your identity. And you know those things are just horrendous, that deception. And yet, for them to work well, they really need to, to really work. It has to be a really well-told lie or put-together scam. It has to be convincing. The devil is the ultimate liar. His scam, well, first to place this doubt, and then he outright lies. He outright denies the truth, verse 4. You will not 
surely die? The serpent said to the woman, he says, God won't judge you. There won't be any bad consequences. In fact, it'll be the opposite. Verse 5, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The devil says to Adam and Eve, typical God, isn't it? Isn't it what you'd expect from him? He, he just wants to put you in your place, keep you down. At the moment, well, God's deciding right and wrong for you, but if you eat, you can decide. You can be like God. And yet, goodness me, isn't there a contemporary ring to that? We don't need God anymore in, in our world today. Oh, no, we have the answers. We, we can believe in ourselves. The answers are within. Just follow your heart. It's nothing new. The same ancient lie that without God, we're free. Do you notice the irony again? What does the devil offer? He says, you'll be like God. It's what they already have. Do you remember how mankind are created? They are created in his image, in his likeness, like God. And we, we read this and we, we think, oh my goodness, like what were they thinking? If we'd been there, we, we would never have fallen for this scam. And yet today we wonder, ah, oh, wouldn't I be happier if I took charge? rather than trust to God? Or we think, oh, sin, oh, oh, it's not that serious. God will understand. If I get away with it, you know, I don't think there'll be any significant consequences. Well, for Adam and Eve, the next steps come thick and fast because doubt and denial leads to desire, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. It just looks so good. It seems to offer just what they want. A bit like Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans. Some of you younger guys maybe have tasted some of those. You, you bite down on that and it's actually vomit flavor and it's just too late. Well, they bite down on the fruit and it is too late. Doubt, denial, desire to be like God leads to the final step, disobedience. Where did it all go wrong? How did we get here? Why is everything no longer very good? It's because the scam worked. Adam and Eve chose paradise over. And sin has entered the world. But you know the reason why this is so world-shattering it's because it's, actually, it's not just sort of like eating a random piece of fruit, some sort of random rule. It's because of what this action represents. Secondly, we're going to look at the heart of sin. The heart of sin.
It's not a big deal, it's just a piece of metal. Just put it in the bin. It really matters, is it? Doesn't change much. But what it represents, oh, isn't it way more significant? Relationship shattering. Really significant. What's the big deal about the tree, about eating that fruit? I mean, all the time we're told we need to eat fruit. As we saw in previous weeks, it's that this tree, this this tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a Hebrew way of saying the knowledge of everything, like searching the house from top to bottom, good and evil. It's the whole of knowledge, everything there is to know, the knowledge that only God has. And because he has that knowledge, he alone is the one who can say what is right and wrong, who who knows how life works, about who we are. In the garden, the way that human beings were to grow in that knowledge is in relation to this tree. But it is by not eating. It is by trusting God, by learning from Him what is good and what is evil. Eyes opening should have been by trusting the good God, the source of life. And God's prohibition to eat from this is because He loves them. Because they have life. They have paradise. And he wants them to stop doing something that will mean that they'll lose it. But if they eat, what it's saying, what it represents is, I don't want you, God. I don't trust you, God. I want to be God. If you pause and think about it for a moment, it's ridiculous to think that us creatures can do a better job than the maker, the creator. What it represents is way more significant. It is an attack on God. And the results are world-shattering, relationship-shattering. It's an attack on the truthfulness of God. I don't believe what he says. It's an attack on the goodness of God. He's not good, really. He doesn't really care. It's an attack on the justice of God. I just think he's a bit mean. He's not fair. I don't think he'll judge. It's an attack on the authority of God. I don't believe you're in charge. I'm going to be in charge. It is a a de-godding of God. And just notice this. Notice the way the devil goes about it. He's really clever because what he's done is he's turned the created order upside down. Do you remember the order should be God? And then under God, men and women and, and the men are supposed to lovingly, sacrificially lead. And then the animals. What's happened? Well, the animal takes the lead. Men and women are next with the woman leading the man. And God, well, he's right at the bottom of the pile. And you think, how could they? How could they let sin in? How could they do that so that it leads to a sinful nature that we all inherit? The shattered world we have to live in. And yet, if we'd been there, would we have done any different? You see, when when I lie, or I boast, or, or I lose my patience, it's still me doing it. 
It's me choosing to go my way rather than God's way. And sometimes those choices we make are very deliberate. What's gone wrong with the world? The answer is that we have. You and I and those around us. And it doesn't actually matter how small that sin is or or we think it is. You know, every sin, every time we, you know, we're just a little bit selfish or or we lose our temper or, or we are slow to do the thing that we said we would do. Actually, it's an attack on God. David says in that psalm, against you, God, only have I sinned. It's saying to the God who, who gives and gives and gives, I don't believe what you say. I don't believe you're good. I don't believe you're in charge. I'll go my own way. I'll do what I want. We choose to be God rather than trust God. Can I get, ask you just to consider, where, where have you done that even today or, or this week? Just pause and have a think. heart of sin, this road of sin and heart of sin, well, it leads to the results of sin. Or certainly today we're just going to see the initial results. You see, where does this road lead to? Well, the serpent's wrong. It, it is an absolute lie. It's not a better lie. They had that in the beginning. Have a look back to chapter 2 and verse 25. Here's a picture of just openness, intimacy, harmony. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. We're told, yeah, yeah, their eyes are open. That they do know good and evil in a new way now. But it's not through trusting God and learning from Him. It is from eating and experiencing evil, by doing evil, and by evil being received into their souls. And the initial results, next week we're going to see the full consequences, that that this is so serious, it affects the relationship between us and nature, us and the devil, us and and, um, life and childbearing and work and each other and God. It leads to judgment and pain and physical death. But but here, initially, well, the serpent is, is wrong. You see, Adam and Eve, okay, they don't physically die, but spiritual death has started. No longer have they the life they were made for. Instead, there is shame and blame. Shame. Before the man and the woman living completely at ease with one another, nothing to hide, now covered up. They can't even let their nearest and dearest see what they're really like. They can't let them in. Because this 
nakedness and covering, it's not just a physical thing, it's a moral, spiritual thing. And now they know they've done wrong. They know who they are, and so what do they do? They hide. Before mankind and God, resting in each other's joy and love, now mankind hiding. And so verse 8 Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. (laughs) I'm like, you know, it's just pointless trying to hide from Almighty God. Um, I've got uh, uh, three lovely little young nieces. I've got some older nieces. They're lovely as well. But... um, uh, the, the middle one is at that brilliant age for hide-and-seek. You know where you, you send them off to hide, and you know, they, they go into the next room, and they put themselves behind a curtain, and you come in, and you go, uh, where are you? And you know exactly where they are. Their feet are sticking out the bottom. The curtain is shaking, and they're just giggling away. You know exactly where they are. It's completely pointless trying to hide. It's pointless, Adam and Eve, trying to hide, but there's no giggling here. There's fear. Look, verse 9, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, exposed. And so I hid. Shame. They hide. And don't we do the same? We hide from each other. We put on that Sunday face. We, we won't admit weakness or failing. And we think, oh, well, maybe we'll get away with it. We can hide from God. It's pointless. Shame and then blame, verse 11. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? My loving prohibition, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. The man should have loved the woman, cared for her, protected her. He blames her. It was her fault. No, in fact, he blames God. He says, it's your fault. You put her with me. And don't we do the same? Someone calls you out on something, and well, I, this is me. Like my initial reaction is, ah, oh, that's that's because you did this, or they did this. It's not my fault. Or even worse than that, I go, well, you know, the circumstances just made it impossible. I was backed into a corner. There's nothing I could do. In other words, the God who was in control of all things, it's your fault. We blame. And verse 13, the woman's the same. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She says, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. How did we end up here? Where did it all go wrong? Well, it's because Adam and Eve and us on repeat ever since choose to be God rather than to trust God. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, oh man, this is not what I 
wanted to come to church for today? How does this even help us? Well, it helps us to see the roads to sin, this doubt, denial, desire, disobedience, so that we can see the steps maybe that we're on, the temptations to fight each step. Certainly, it helps us to fight those temptations to hide or to blame, to see that that's our tendency. But you know what? Fighting harder or doing better is not going to fix our shattered relationship with God. It's not going to mean that next week I'm going to have a perfect week. I can't do it. Is there hope? Is there any hope? Well, you know, in the verses we've read, we'll see more next week. But in the verses we've read, here's the tiniest hint. Have a look again at verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? We've already talked about this. God knows exactly where they are. Why does he ask this? Because he's not done with them yet. He, he could have judged them right there and then, but he calls out to them. And it makes us wonder, is there a road back? And if there was, what would we need? We'd need a, a, a God who is willing to call out to sinners like you and me. We would need someone to stand in our place, to live the life that we could never live. So someone who would never doubt God's word. Someone who would resist the devil's temptations and wouldn't believe the lies and the denials. Someone who, if the devil said to them while they were starving, if you're hungry, you can turn these stones into bread, will be able to say, you mustn't put the Lord our God to the test. We'd need someone who would always desire the Father's desire and obey the Father's will, who'd be willing to say, not my will be done, but yours. And then we'd need this perfect one to take the consequences that we deserve, to stand in our place, to take our sin, to bear the shame and the blame. So that we wouldn't need to hide anymore. So that our sin would be covered and we're forgiven. Free to enjoy life with God again. A relationship restored in this life. And a world restored in the next. Paul writes this about Jesus in 2 Corinthians. God made him who had no sin, sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Jesus we have what we need. And what we must do is what we should always have done, is again to trust, but this time in a Savior. Trust in him. I'm just going to give us uh, a minute maybe to pause and in the quiet of our own hearts, pray ourselves to God in response to his word this morning. Um, I'm going to invite the musicians up to get themselves ready for us to sing in a moment. 
But also, can I say to you that if you are someone who has never found this solution in Jesus, this hope that we are talking about right at the very end, come and talk to me or, or to some of the others involved here. We'd love to help you see that there is hope, there is life, there is forgiveness, there is joy. Let's take a moment to pause and pray. This song we're going to sing is a song of confession, a song that speaks how we've turned from the source of life and how we need mercy.